0: So when we speak of the return of Israel, the first implication to draw is this is a period of time that is preparation for Israel or the preparation of Israel. God is in the process of preparing them for the coming of Messiah. That's the whole purpose of this period and that's what God is doing. And in that, we already talked about the purging of idolatry to some extent, and now God is beginning a restoration of the nation. It's not a complete restoration in many ways. It's not complete spiritually. It's not complete geographically because they really are not an independent nation yet. They will continue to be under the dominion of Gentile powers. And we'll talk about all of that. So this restoration, first of all, let's take a look at some passages. They will return to the land. This is a restoration, at least partial, in terms of the land. And let's look up some passages here. Let's start with Linda. Look up, in fact, most of you look up Ezra. We'll be in Look book of Ezra here. And I'll have you read the first four verses. Connie, chapter 2, look at... First 1, and then I'll give you a couple of other verses. Holland, chapter 3. Mackenzie, chapter 6. And I'm going to give you several in there. Mark, chapter 9. And Randy, chapter 10. And we don't want to leave Loretta, so we'll go to Nehemiah. You, you look, look up Nehemiah, but you might stay in Ezra as we start to read there. So Linda's going to begin with Verse one, one through four, and as she reads, notice that this deals with the restoration of the land or the return to the land. You want to read those? Okay, in the
1: first year of Cyrus, King of Persia, that the, that the word of the Lord by the
0: mouth of my mind. the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. Came. Okay, stop, and let me, uh, do a couple of things there, uh, explanation. Cyrus was predicted before Cyrus was even on the scene at all. Do you remember which prophet? Isaiah. And he predicts him by name that that Israel will return under Cyrus. Okay? Also notice that in order to fulfill the words of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, what's he referring to there? What does Jeremiah predict about the exile? Does anybody remember? 70 years. 70 years of captivity. Very good. Very precise. So it's in fulfillment of the end of that period of time. And uh, Ezra is telling us that point. And it gives us the time frame in the first year. This is history. And notice Persia. Medo-Persians have destroyed Babylon. So the children of Israel are no longer under Babylon. Now they're under the next totalitarian power, the Medo-Persians. Keep reading.
1: So that he made a proclamation. Thus said, Cyrus, King of Lord, the God of Heaven, has given all
0: Notice that God has given him all the kingdoms of the earth. We have the dominion of Gentile powers. This is the times of the Gentiles. God is orchestrating it. God is sovereign over history. Cyrus even acknowledges that. He's a unbelieving, non-Jewish king. Okay.
1: And he has charged me to build my house.
0: Wow. Whoever is
1: among you all, take this God and let him go and rebuild the house that God is to God. Keep reading. Verse 4. And let each survivor, in whatever place he so be assisted by the men of his life with silver and gold, with goods and
0: beasts. Besides, we will offer for the house of God. Okay, so he makes a proclamation for the children of Israel to go and return back and to the land. Return to the land. Yeah, and he's going to support it, and God is in it. Let's also read uh, chapter two, verse one, which is. Kind of continuing story. Uh, Connie.
1: Now
0: Okay, and then he gives a list of them and the numbers, very specific numbers. Now skip the same chapter, read sixty four and sixty five.
1: Okay. The whole company numbered 42,160, besides their seven
0: and they also had women singers. They Okay, so very precise down to some of the animals. Did you get that, Loretta? That God counts even the animals. So this is this is still under the context of returning to the land, return of Israel. Also. As we already saw from the first verses there, there's going to be a rebuilding of the temple that is financed by the Persian Empire. And Holland, do you want to read the first three verses of chapter 3?
1: Now when the seventh month came and the sons of Israel were in the cities, so the people gathered together as one in
0: Jerusalem. So they've already arrived in Jerusalem.
1: Then Joshua the son of Jehozadak, and his brothers the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Sheol, and his brothers arose and built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings, as it is written in
0: the law of Moses, the man of God. Okay, so the beginnings of the temple. Not the entire structure, but the altar, which is at the heart of the temple. So we have the beginnings of the rebuilding of the temple, and much of the book of Ezra is going to talk about this rebuilding of the temple. Read verse 11 also, Holland. Chapter
1: 3. They say, Praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his loving kindness is upon Israel forever. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the
0: house of the Lord was laid. Okay, the foundation of the building, the structure itself is laid, so praise us, and they praise the loving kindness, the graciousness of God. And it it will continue and talk some more. Now the building project's gonna be interrupted and there's gonna be some other issues. But, we're gonna have a rebuilding of a temple that will eventually be built. Chapter 6, 13 through 15. Of Kinsey. Read loud. Ezra. 613. And the name is Tatnai.
1: And according to the words that by Darius the Catani, the governor of the province of Yoda, heard. That's good. And their associates did with all of their diligence, but Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of Jews built the prospered through the prophet of Haggai. Haggai, the prophet of Zechariah, the son of you They finished their building by decree of the god, and by the decree of Cyrus and Darius, and Artaxerxes king. And the house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, in the sixth year of the reign.
0: Okay, so there's the completion of the building of the temple. Now, they had some interference that they had to deal with, but basically the temple got built. And what this is is a restoration of the central part of their worship surrounded the temple. So they have returned to the land. We have the restoration of worship. Also read 19.
1: On the fourteenth day of
0: the first month, the returned to exiles kept the Passover. Okay, so they kept the Passover all the way back to Moses, who instituted the Passover. So we have a restoration of worship, and on a timeline, we have the end of Judah, about probably 586 is the last deportation there, on the timeline there. We have a 70-year exile, and about 5, what is it, 536, I believe, we have the beginning of the restoration, for my exact dates. So, 605, that's when Daniel was taken, first deportation. We have the fall of Judah, 586. So, there's my date, 536, the first return under Zerubbabel that we looked at. That was the beginning of the book of Ezra. And 516 would be the date for the completion of the temple. So, and we have time frames given to us in the book here. The next stage here is after Israel is in the land now, or at least some of the Israelites, some of them are still dispersed. We have the rebuilding of the temple. Thirdly, we have a restoring of the people, including fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. And that begins with a right relationship with God as a result of sacrifices and a restoring of sacrifices in the temple. And for that, we have uh, chapter 9, 1 through 4. You get that, Mark?
2: So, as we were saying in verse 1, now when these things have been completed, the princes approached me, saying, the people of Israel and the priests of the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands according to their... Abominations; those of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Egyptians and the Amorites, where they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has been intermingled with the peoples of the lands. Indeed, the, the hands of the princes and the rulers have been foremost in this unfaithfulness.
0: Okay, it's kind of bringing out the kind of the tendency of the Israelites to intermarry, mix with the people. And uh, the reason this is in here is because steps need to be taken to kind of correct this issue. Otherwise, we're basically back to the book of Judges. Keep reading. When I heard about this matter, I tore my garment and my robe, and I pulled some of the hair from my head and my beard, and
2: sat down to Paul's. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel on account of the unfaithfulness of the exiles gathered to me, and I sat appalled until the evening off.
0: Okay, so this is, this is Ezra's response. And what he's gonna do is to correct this situation. So part of the book of Ezra is telling us of the people need restoring as well. Not just a physical return, not just a physical building of a temple, and not just physical sacrifices of animals, but people spiritually also need to, uh, be returned and dealt with. Skip to verse 15. You want to read that one, Mark?
2: O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we have been left and escaped from it. As it is this day, behold, we are before you in our guilt, for no one can stand before you because of this.
0: Okay, so he's just admitting, he's confessing the sin of the nation. And then God's going to deal with them and use Ezra to begin a process of restoration. Read uh, chapter ten, Randy, and uh verses one
2: through three. Now when Ezra had prayed, he had best and cast himself down with the house of God, and there assembled of Israel a very great congregation of women, and showed for the people wept very sore. of the son one of the sons he answered and said unto Ezra the trespass against your God, and he strange wives Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with all the wise and such as are born of them, according to the counsel of my lord, and those who tremble at the commandment of our God. Let it be according
0: to them. Okay. So, national confession, national repentance, and even a mention of a renewing of a covenant here. So, restoration of the people. Now, skip to Nehemiah. Nehemiah somewhat con- continues the story, and in Nehemiah we have a rebuilding of the walls so this is going to give a sense of security to this new group of Israelites in Jerusalem and you want to read chapter one Loretta and start with verse one and we may skip a couple of verses in there read one and two first of all
1: where's Nehemiah son of... how do you
0: pronounce it? How Akaliah.
1: Akaliah. Now, it happened in the month
0: of... 10. Chislev.
1: Chislev in the 20th year while I was in Susa. Mm-hmm. Susa. Susa. Susa the capital. <laughs> that Han, Hananiah, one, Hanani? Hanani. Hanani, one of the brothers and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity, and about Jerusalem.
0: Okay, so Nehemiah is being stirred and beginning to wonder about his fellow captives, and keep reading.
1: He said to me, the remnant there in the problems survive, of survive the survivor captivity. captivity are in great stress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burning with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech you, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant.
0: Notice the covenant. Preserves the covenant.
1: Loving kindness for those who love him. Keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open. Hear the prayer of your servant praying
0: now. Okay, and he continues, and we have some of the content of that prayer. So now he's going to pray, and he's going to find favor with the king, and the king will issue another decree to allow him to go back to rebuild the walls. And much of the book of Nehemiah is rebuilding the walls for security. Let's continue reading in chapter 2, 1 through 5, Connie. Now all the readings are in Nehemiah do you notice there's been several kings Cyrus Darius and now we have Artaxerxes so it's over a period of time this nothing that says
1: I was very afraid, but said why should my face said my and then I and
0: if let send to the so that Okay, so there's the request to rebuild the walls. Did you read six? So I
1: said,
0: okay. So he's basically sent off. And chapter 6, Holland, do you want to skip it? And once you get ready to read chapter 8, first couple of verses there, Mark, chapter 10, verse 29, Randy, chapter 13, and Loretta, I'll have you read some in chapter 13 as well. Let's see, where were we? Chapter 6, 15 and 16. So the wall was completed on the 20. 20-
1: of the month of Elul in fifty-two days, when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence, for they recognized that this
0: work had been accomplished the help of our body. Okay. Now, in between, they also had opposition, and they had to get some orders from the king, from the king, and protection, and they had to carry a weapon as they took tools to work on the wall. Uh, we're skipping a lot of the story. I'm just kind of giving you the highlights. And in chapter 8, 1 through 2 there.
1: And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the monarchy, And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded him. So Ezra the priest brought the law before December. the assembly. With men and women, all who could understand the word, on the first day
0: of the law. Okay, and Linda will have Linda read... Eight and nine. But what's going on here is we have a restoring of the law. So a restoring back to the scriptures. So notice God, through all of this history, is restoring Israel in large measure back to what he intends in terms of all, all of his principles here. The land, worship, fellowship, security, and now Restoring of the scriptures, restoring of the law. And notice what he does in chapter 8, verses 8
1: and 9. We read from the book from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that will And
0: Nehemiah was Okay, first of all, notice there's three things in there, in terms of the law. In fact, there's a good pattern that we should follow here. What, did, what was the first stage there? Reading. Reading the Scriptures. So he's reading the Scriptures. Now he's reading a Hebrew text. So what does he do next? Well, not not yet. There's a stage in between. He translates. So he's got to translate into the language of the people. They They are not speaking Hebrew anymore. So he's got to translate it into the language that they know. So this is what every Bible teacher should do. He ought to read out of the original text, Greek and Hebrew. So all of you need to learn Greek and Hebrew. And then you need to translate it. That's what we're teaching the Greek students. Translate into English. And now the third thing is what? Give the sense, or what is that? That's that's exegesis and exposition. That's explaining, but before you can explain it, you have to understand it yourself. That's exegesis. And there's a whole course that we offer, actually a series of courses on exegesis. Learning the languages, exegeting the text, and then expounding it. And that's what Ezra's doing. Read verse 9.
1: Nehemiah, the governor, the scribe, and the Levites, said to all of This day is holy, the Lord your God. Do not mourn weep for all the people.
0: Stay as holy as your God and me For all the people wept. Well, okay, why did they weep? Because they were sinners and they saw how they were violating it. Well, he's basically saying, get your lives together. So, we have a return to the land, to Israel, rebuilding of the temple, restoring of the people, rebuilding of the walls, and restoring of the law. And we're going to have a renewing of the covenant that's 1029. You got that one, Mark?
2: ...are joining with their kinsmen, their nobles, and are taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given through Moses, God's servant, to keep, and to keep and to her all the commandments of God, God our Lord, and His ordinances, and His statutes.
0: Okay. Now the covenant is mentioned there, but what are they talking about? Mosaic law. In other words, the commandments of Moses. So a renewing of the covenant. And, unfortunately, the restoration is only partial because the people are still sinners. And the last thing that I got here, but there's still a lot of sin. And we have examples of a lot of that sin here. And Randy, we won't read all of these, but why don't you read 6 and 7. Skip to ten, and we'll have Loretta read fifteen and seventeen through eighteen. Six through seven first.
2: But in all this time. Was not I at Jerusalem? The two and thirtieth year of our king in Babylon, came I under king, and after certain days of high came to Jerusalem and understood. It and I came to Jerusalem and
0: understood of the Medeship. There it is. Did for Tobiah, preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. Okay, the evil. And read uh, 10.
2: And I perceive that the portions of the Levites
0: have not been healed. the Levites
2: and the singers who did the work were, were pledged to the
0: Okay, so they're not supporting the Levites. They're failing in that area. 15, Loretta.
1: In those days I saw in Judah some who were treading my presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sacks of grain and loading them on a donkey, as well as wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loaves. And they brought them at Jerusalem on the Sabbath day.
0: Okay, so a violation of the Sabbath. And basically 17 and 18 kind of explains more of the violation of the Sabbath. Instead of reading that, skip to verse 23, because we have a different sin there.
1: In those days I also saw that the Jews had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab,
0: Moab. So, intermarriage, and if you read on, it just describes more of that. So, we have all kinds. We have evil, we have violation of the Sabbath, uh, lack of support of the Levites, intermarriage. So, sin is going to persist, so it's not a perfect setting, and you see a desperate need for regeneration. Honey? So, how long is this for when they
1: all had to give up, or when they were the married, to now
0: the starting Not very long. remember well there's our timeline here. The end of the exile is 536. the temple is completed in 516. The second return, this one is under Ezra 458. So here we have time what is that 40 years 42 years between the temple of the completion temple completion. So it did not take long to fall back into sin. So we have a a third return under Nehemiah. So the book of Nehemiah is in the time frame of 445 B.C. So these are the events that we're talking about in Nehemiah. And the close of the Old Testament canon, which we don't have in Nehemiah, but uh, the last book of the Bible is 415, to give you a time frame. Does that give you a sense of the time, your question?
1: I have a question, Ray. Are we reading on the returning whatever to, to marry and intermarry? Are these within? And I think in Ezra we, we read, and here it says they were marrying out of there.
0: Right. Well, you, you had that in Ezra. You had that in Ezra as well. Intermarriage in Ezra, and you have it again under also, Nehemiah. This is the
1: same situation.
0: Yep. They didn't oh, okay. didn't learn didn't learn their lesson. Awesome. So that's basically Old Testament history uh, to the end of the canon, and then you have a little over 400 years of silence before John the Baptist, the next prophet. So that's the history. That's the kind of historical background there. But it's also part of Israel's preparation. God is attempting to purge idolatry. He's restoring the nation, as we just looked at and now we're going to have prophecies and, and things relating to Israel's final history. Turn to the book of Daniel. I want you to notice this is a very important passage. Most of the passages that we've looked at have been historical. But let's look at Daniel for an interesting passage that's in a prophetic book. But it predicts more history, more of Israel's history. In fact, it's going to predict the final years of Israel's history. So let's take a look at Daniel 9, verses 24 through 27. But before we look at it, first of all, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. We probably ought to read these two verses. Linda, we'll start off with you. We won't overlook you. You're sitting too close to Lana and Lana... She's we don't saying. want we don't want her to, read, her to read out of her Ukrainian Bible. Chapter nine, one and two. Daniel.
1: Okay, in the first year of Darius, Darius, the son of Anasorus, yep. by descent of Mede, who was made king of the In the first year of Darius, I, Daniel, preceding the books appears the that under my prophet must pass before the end of the desolations.
0: Seven years. Okay, so what Daniel is doing, he has read Jeremiah and he's thinking, hey, Jeremiah says that the exile is going to be 70 years. Daniel's still in exile. He is close to the end of those 70 years. So he's thinking, this is the context, he's wondering and he's thinking and he's praying and God's going to be pleased to say, okay, this is what's next. And he's going to lay out the rest of Israel's history. And Daniel gives us a glimpse of the rest of world history. So, if you want the rest of world history, don't go to your U N M textbook. Go to the book of Daniel. Let's also read uh, Connie. Read chapter nine, verses twenty through twenty-two. I see praying, so he's praying. This is Daniel confessing sin of Israel. While he's still in prayer, Gabriel King Okay, so he's going to receive basically insight and understanding. He's in the midst of praying. An angelic creature, Gabriel, actually is going to reveal what's going to follow. So this is a very significant prediction and prophecy here. Now, Holland, you want to skip down to verse 24.
1: And prophecy
0: and okay, in verse 24, when it says 70 weeks, the word for weeks there is the Hebrew word, what? Anyone know it? Shabuah is the Hebrew word. Shabuah is... A period of time. It's not necessarily weeks. And in this context, it has the idea of weeks of years in this context. In other contexts, it can be normal weeks, but it can also be weeks of years as in this context. So he says there's 70 shabuas have been decreed for your people. In other words, from a certain starting point, there's gonna be 70 weeks of years. How many, how many years is that? Yep, yeah, that's it. 490 years of Jewish history is left. Yep, 400 years of Jewish history is left. Yeah, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin. Whoa, this is the end of time. To make atonement for iniquity. That's all that Messiah's gonna do. To bring in everlasting righteousness. Wow, this goes beyond millennial kingdom. He's talking about eschatology here. This is apocalyptic literature. This is apocalyptic in the sense that it gives these grand pictures of the future, and in this case revealed by an angel. And what else is here? To seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy place. It's going to involve the temple. Okay? So we have 70 weeks of years. Number 2 in verse 25, he's going to talk about the first 69. Kenzie, do you want to read that one? Read it loud. 925.
1: Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the world to restore and refuse most the coming of a prince there shall be in seven weeks and for 62 weeks it shall be in squares and bolts but in a truth.
0: Okay, he gives the beginning, it's going to be from a decree, I won't get into the details there, but the date of that decree is 444 B.C., and I think it's a decree of Artaxerxes, so you can trace it back historically. There'll be seven weeks and sixty-two, can you add? Seven and sixty-two, sixty-nine weeks, alright, and what's up? what else does it say? And it will be built again with plaza. In other words, there's going to be a rebuilding. So we have the first 69 weeks. Here's the word Shabua. in case you didn't know how to spell it. Shabuah, you, you see that, right? Equal weeks of days or weeks of years. So it's from an issuing of a decree to restore Jerusalem, 444 or 445, depending on the scholar you read, until a prince you see that in the context there? Until Messiah, the Prince. you see that? And what is that? There's going to be how many weeks of years? Seven, seven,
1: plus, seven.
0: plus 62. 62. 69. And, and calculations have been made, including leap years, and some work, I can't remember the writer, the main scholar here who came up with the precise dating from 444 B.C. to 33 A.D., Messiah the Prince, such that the calculation works out to Palm Sunday before the crucifixion. Those 69 weeks. That's Israel's history. So 7 weeks plus 62, and here's the calculation, 173,880 days to Messiah the Prince. And what's going to happen to Messiah the Prince 26. You got that one, Mark? 926. After This is after the
2: 69. Then after the 62 weeks,
0: the Messiah will... Now he's referring to the 62 plus 7.
2: The Messiah will cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be war. Desolations are
0: determined. Okay, so after the 69, now he says the 62, but includes the 7, what's going to happen to Messiah? Cut off. Historically, what happened to Messiah? Crucified. And then what happened to the city? Shortly after, 70 AD, the city was destroyed. This is all predicted here. So it's implying a gap here after the 69 weeks... And it doesn't give us a time frame in between. So it talks about Messiah cut off and destroying of the city. This happened in 70 AD. And we have a period of time that is not specified in Daniel. And then it skips to the 70th week, 927. The 70th week has never been fulfilled. Israel has one more week of its history that has never been fulfilled. They've been scattered again in 70 A.D. So it's only been since 1948 that they have returned. Read verse 27, Randy. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of which he shall cause... Now the he there is a prince that rises up, not Messiah. This is a different prince. He's going to enter into a covenant with Israel. He shall cause the
2: sacrifice and the oblation to cease. For the overspreading of abominations, he shall be desolate even until consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate.
0: Okay. There's going to be a covenant that's going to kick off that first week. We know the starting point of that week. This week has never been fulfilled. That's the next event in Jewish history, the signing of this covenant. Between a prince... Now, if you take all of Scripture, this is going to be Antichrist who enters into a covenant with the nation of Israel for a week, seven-year week, a week of seven years. Make sense? On our timeline here, after a period of time, it doesn't specify a church age, but we've been living through the church age. There's going to be an event where there's a signing of a covenant and there's going to be a... period of time. Something's going to happen in the middle. Jesus refers to this passage in the Olivet Discourse when he talks about the abomination that makes desolate in the middle of the week. That week's going to be divided. This week is more than likely what the book of Revelation describes as this period of tribulation from Revelation 4 through chapter 19 and what Jesus describes in the Olivet Discourse, a period of great tribulation. That is Israel's 70th week, where God in that time, other revelation tells us, God is going to basically bring Israel to salvation. All of Israel shall be saved, Romans 11. So there's one week of Israel's history that's left. 69 of those weeks are completed. Israel is in a period of kind of just floating. They're just waiting till God starts the clock again. The clock is kind of turned off. So we'll have a firm covenant here, and then Messiah returns, Revelation 19.11, over here, that's at the end of the 70th week. And then he will introduce the kingdom. So Israel is being prepared. We have the closing of the, the Old Testament canon. We talked about the Jewish diaspora. So that's the preparation of Israel. This kicks off, and Daniel is also going to predict in another vision the beginnings of the times of the Gentiles. Chronicles tells us a little bit about this. and in, in fact, it interprets as 2 Chronicles 26. And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, art thou not God in the heavens, and art thou not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? God is sovereign. He's ruler of the nations. Power and might are in thy hands so that no one can stand against thee. You need to keep that verse in light of God allowing Gentile nations to rule. God is still sovereign over the nations. We've been saying that. So, Daniel predicts all of these empires. This is that vision that Nebuchadnezzar has. He envisions the Babylonian, we won't look at those passages, but the Babylon conquered Israel and took them into exile 506 and to about 538. On a timeline here, there's Babylon 586 beginning. There's the Babylonian Empire in that period of time. Then we have the Persian Empire, and we read some of that in Ezra and in Nehemiah 539 to 331. So the Persian Empire was dominant uh, in world history. So that's the next period in there. And Israel is back in the land, but they're under the dominion of these world empires. Beginning in 536, Israel's back in the land. There's the Persian Empire, which goes all the way to India, from the Mediterranean to India, includes all of the land of Israel, all of Turkey, part of... What would that be? Macedonia up there, all the way to parts of Russia, all of Egypt, Medo-Persian Empire. And then from 334 to 63, beginning with Alexander the Great, we have the Greek Empire that conquered the Medo-Persians. So We have Greece, there's the Greek Empire, and again, all the way to India, to the east, all of Asia Minor. After the Greek Empire, 63 B.C., we have the Roman Empire into the first century. The rest of the Old Testament and into the first century. So we have the Roman Empire, and the 70 A.D. is the end of Israel, basically. And in 1948, we have the reestablishing of the nation of Israel. Notice we have a gap of time here, so it's out of scale there. Daniel also sees a revived Roman Empire at the end of the age. And these are all Gentile world powers that dominate over Israel. And then we have the second coming where everything changes. That's that arrow there. It would be in this just preceding... Mm -hmm. Revived, yeah, ten-nation confederacy. Let me complete our foundation for the nations. We said it's rooted in God's purposes, result of God's judgment under the sovereignty of God. purpose of the nations is that people have opportunity to seek Him. Nations are blessed through Israel. God uses the nations to discipline Israel. We've gone over all of this. The nations will participate in the kingdom. So we're talking about Gentile nations here. And out of these pagan cultures, there'll be believers that'll believe in God, Yahweh in the Old Testament, and Jesus in the New Testament, and then eventually glorified in eternity. We saw all that already. So we have a period of silence until the coming of Messiah, and we have third implication, preparation of the world. And there's a lot that we could talk about there. I'm not sure. Yeah. The Roman Empire provides a lot for the gospel. And uh, there's a Pax Romana, a peace where the gospel can go out, roads. So there's a lot of stuff here. World's preparation. Politically, there's peace. Roman emperors related to Christ. I'm going to skip over a lot of this here. There's social preparation. Uh, unified language. Everybody speaks Greek now, except you guys. You guys need to learn Greek social preparation the Roman roads here's a picture of the Roman road Hellenistic culture people can understand one another photographs kind of a standardized education more photographs Greek language there's economic unrest which people are stirred emotionally and spiritually lots of slaves that are open to change especially the gospel, a lot of unrest, taxes, high taxes, agriculture. All of these are preparing the world for the coming of Messiah. Low standards, so morality, uh, a need for revelation, a need for God's word. Uh, Spiritually, the world is bankrupt. Remember all the world religions, they haven't produced anything. They haven't satisfied man's real needs. We have all of these influences, the world religions I mentioned, Greek pantheon, all the Greeks, the gods of the Greeks, Roman religions, Caesar worship. A lot of these temples were to Caesars. Philosophers. There's some evidence that, as we kind of skipped over when I was talking about the world religions, that even the Greeks were probably influenced by the the Jewish culture and the Jewish wisdom and Jewish thought, such that Plato, Aristotle, and all those guys, much of what they came up with was necessarily original. I think a lot of it, some of it came from Jewish thinking. So, But there were philosophers, but philosophy didn't satisfy. There were all the mystery religions that existed as well. The occult was alive and well. Demonism, occultism, Satan worship, all of these were present. Preceding the coming of Messiah. So all these kind of prepared the world for Jesus Christ. Such that when He arrived, even Judaism was inadequate. Such that Galatians 4, 4 through 5, but when the fullness of time came, God sent His, forth His Son. Everything was prepared. Born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that he might receive the adoption as sons. Fullness of time. In other words, God prepared the world. In fact, all of the Old Testament is an anticipation of this day, coming of Messiah. All of the Old Testament. All of the Old Testament is foundational to the coming of Messiah. And I hope to have demonstrated that. So our foundation for history, it begins with the Creator. We talked about the priority of the biblical events throughout this course. It's all under the sovereignty of God. It's the purpose to glorify God. And the purpose is the purpose of restoration. Not only man, involves the spiritual world, world history. Number seven, it's a focus on Israel above, over the nations, but nations are not neglected. And this is comprehensive history. You need the spiritual dimension. Our closing thought, the grace that is bestowed toward Israel is extended to Gentiles, to us as well. And that's your foundation for all things. What thank you,
1: thank you. a minute over. Sorry oh about
0: that. God. That's so new. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's have Mackenzie close in a word of prayer for us. Do you want to do that? I'll leave that up there so you can copy. Dear Lord, thank you so much
1: for this day and for this time you've had in class. Thank you for allowing us all to be here. And please help us have a really good rest of
0: the day. Amen.